Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. Joined today by my co-host, Josh Bow. Josh, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I think we are, at least for me, I know you've already been kind of back in the mode, but I am definitely more and more uh, prepared for the season, I think, as we go on, starting to get my my brain wrapped around the, the prospect of another season. Mm. And, you know, we're slowly inching up. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, and Monday, the 27th, is media day. Tuesday starts training camp. So there's just going to be more stuff almost mm-hmm. Almost immediately. And while Josh and I are going to get to previewing some of the players that we've written about on the site already, one of the touch base on like two quick stories that I was entertained by. The first was this uh, Instagram live uh, thing that Patrick Beverly did, where he explained that that the guy who is toughest to guard for him is Luka Doncic. And Patrick Beverly is just, he makes me feel like, he reminds me of X-Pac way back during like like the, the <laughs> WWE days because he's like somebody who I can go from like loving to hating depending on what's coming out of his mouth and he's just such a troll and I, I, I love the level of self-awareness that it takes for a six foot tall guard to admit that he gets walloped by Luca. It just it it made me appreciate him a little bit. Yeah, I mean he when you're in the heat of a game and you're rooting for a team that has Patrick Beverly on the other side of it. He's really one of the easiest players to hate. So you're right. It was pretty funny for him to, you know, those type of players, you know, you would, you would think he would think the opposite and be like, ah, oh, well, I shut him down. He was, he was, they were not calling offensive foul. You know, you'd think he'd be kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So for him to just openly admit it, uh, especially since good Lord, we have so much highlight footage of, of Luca just, demolishing Patrick Beverly uh, across two playoff series. Uh, That's just good stuff all around. Oh, yeah. And then the other story that we had that, like, we didn't – I think I was just offline at the the right times. I didn't see any of this at all because I just wasn't paying attention. Sports Illustrated and ESPN each did their kind of top 100. ESPN does this this rank thing where – and I'm pretty sure this is the case. I didn't participate um, this year, though I have in the past – because uh, I used to work for ESPN like a thousand years ago, just doing like little stuff for their daily dime. Where what they used to do is they'd send you these player rank things, and it it was like a head to head matchup for like every single player in the league, where you would just like this guy versus this guy, this guy versus this guy, and then they came they came up with these rankings, and it was like a wisdom of the crowds effort. I'm pretty sure that's how they still do it. And three Mavericks came in in the top 100, which was you know it it sort of speaks to something it's like a visualization of our complaints forever um tim hardaway came in at number 79 which strikes me as about right uh chris Porzingis came in at 50 which as matthew phillips wrote on our uh kind of you know aggregation of it it's a sign that espn doesn't know how to rank porzingis which i think is fair um and then the one which caused like the internet kerfuffle was Luka Doncic getting ranked fourth above Steph Curry at fifth. And the only players above Luka were LeBron, Giannis, and Kevin Durant. And my my reaction to this, as much as, as I, I think I'm just too old for rankings, but my re, like, reaction was, yeah, I think Luka is better than Steph Curry. I, I That feels like a homer take, but 
you know, if he's six foot seven and huge, like, like Curry is still a six foot three guard that can get bullied, even if he causes defenses to break. I don't know. It, it big picture doesn't matter, but what it says to me is that the NBA kind of, of uh, media apparatus at large really highly, highly values Luca in a way that I don't know if the common fan does yet. Yeah, and it makes it really difficult when he's played in two playoff series and the Mavericks have lost the first round each time. You know, granted, it's the Clippers. And granted, he was not the reason uh, they lost. I mean, he was absolutely, he's been absolutely incredible, almost a flawless player in those two playoff series. Like the numbers he's put up is pretty staggering. So, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not playing in the second round, third round, or getting to the final, you know, if you're not making meaningful progress in the playoffs, I think, you know, casual fans will kind of turn on you a little bit. Sure. Um, that's just kind of the way it goes. You know, Harden, Harden had that for a very long time, despite putting up some of, like, the craziest offensive numbers ever. And, you know, he's very much hated for, you know, how he plays in the playoffs. So uh, it, it makes sense to me. And then, you know, being above Steph – uh, you know, I don't know, flip a coin. At, right. You know, they're at that both point, great players. You're, you're nits. Yeah. And I guess, the, you know, the one thing you could say to Luca is that, you know, the thing with Steph that's really hard for him and it's not his fault. It's just the nature of his position and his size makes it hard for him to sometimes get uh, offense off whenever he wants. Like, you know, if, if Luca is struggling uh, to create separation, he can just be like, all right, I'm just going to go in the post and back someone down and, and do something there. Like Steph is like, if I can't shake loose, I'm, you know, it just makes things more difficult to uh, for him to get shots off uh, whenever he wants. Uh, I get you know, unless he's you know just bombing from deep. So right, I, that that's the like differentiator to me because otherwise, you know, they're brilliant offensive players. You know, they're not necessarily all star defenders. You know, so they're kind of their games are a little similar in that way. But yeah, I mean, whatever. It's rankings. People are gonna get people are gonna get mad. If it was the other way around, I'm sure people would be getting mad the other way. Well, and, and the, the real big picture thing that I take away from this, and this is something that I want our, our, our kind of casual listeners to understand, this is an aggregation look at the fact that the Mavericks, according to NBA media at large, only have three players in the top yeah. 100. Like, that's not good, guys. Like, contender status teams don't have – like you go look at the at the Lakers and at the 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 uh, the Nets. I'm not sure where those respective players specifically rank. I'm not looking at the list right now because it's not really able to. You can't really see it that way. You kind of got to do a lot of scrolling. Mm-hmm. But you know the the Nets have three of the top thirty. Okay, like the, it's it's just you know the the Bucks have probably two of the top forty. Um, if if not three, depending on where you rank, Drew Holiday, and it. When, when we're talking about like talent long term, it's this is what we mean. And I think that like the people who spend most of their time tuning into Mavs games understand that the pieces fit really well together and they do, but the individual talent is just not the same. I mean, I think you, we, we have argued in the past that, that, that Tim Hardaway Jr. is the Mavericks' second best player and the NBA commentariat ranks him at 79th. Like that's, whoo. I mean, that, that's just, I don't know. It's, it's, we've done this time and again, but I, I just think it's a good kind of exercise, particularly as we pivot to what we're going to talk about next. But before we kind of um, get to, to starting, we're going to start with Chris Stapps for Zingas. I wanted to read you this, uh, this quote here from Jason Kidd talking about mm-hmm. uh, Chris Stapps for Zingas. He says, I want him to be a basketball player. 
When he's able to mix up rolling and popping, I think he becomes very hard for an opponent to guard. And I think that puts him in a really positive situation of being able to roll to score or to pop to score. I think that's going to be something that we haven't seen the last couple of years. He's going to be able to play the post or the mid-range game. There's just a ton in that paragraph that allows us to really pivot kind of directly into previewing Chris Stapp's Porzingis, which we've talked about him a lot, so we don't need to spend too much time on it. But it's got to be said that, that it's not the last few years. Porzingis didn't roll last year because he was physically unable to. And I think it's it's – I understand the Mavericks can't come out and say this, but it's it, we just have to stop being disingenuous about the fact that he that – they talk about him like he was healthy to end the year. He wasn't healthy. He just wasn't hurt. And there's a difference. And, you know, his usage went down because he was getting worse physically. And, you know, the, the popping and rolling is something I very much hope that they do mix up. I think Kid makes a really good point that they need to mix that up. But that is – like, some of that is on Porzingis. Like, he has a choice on where to go on the floor. And he just didn't a lot of the time because he wasn't comfortable diving. Um, then the next thing uh, about the the – he's going to be able to play the post or the play the mid-range game. He was a below average mid-range scorer. He has never once been above average. I, I don't, that sort of line just goes to, to cause me to want to overreact because we've seen, you know, and you're writing about this, like all of Jason Kidd's offenses in the Lakers offense, which he was the coordinator for, sucked. So something's got to give here, right, Josh? Yeah, I'm, it's, it's the one thing that I think that we're, I think we're underselling. I think everyone's underselling the impact of going from Carlisle to kid. Um, I know when you talked, uh, you know, you've, you've had some podcasts with recent, um, you know, Dave DeFore of the athletic and Rob Mahoney uh, of the ringer. And, you know, you talk to people and you've made this point on this podcast, this very same point about like how everyone you talk to that's connected to the league. That's not necessarily a Mavericks media person just there's no good things to say about Jason Kidd uh, as a head coach. Um, and yeah, you look at his offensive numbers when he's been a head coach and they're not great. His teams play really slow and they don't shoot a lot of threes. Um, they get to the rim a lot, which is good, but you know, they're just, they're just not, you know, they feel like a team from, you know, 2006 or 2007, uh, which is not good in, in 2021. So um, I don't know how much that's going to change. You know, how much was he, you know, you, you know, he said coordinator of the Lakers offense, you know, we'll see how much of that he brings over, see how much of a hand he had in that. Uh, and I don't know. I'm just, you know, this roster is built like this roster isn't built any other way. They got to shoot a bunch of threes. If they yeah. don't like, uh, you know, what is Dorian Finney Smith doing? What is Tim Hardaway Jr. doing? What? No, it's really you know, funny. What there's, is Reggie Bullock doing? Like, th there's not a pit, like this roster is not built to not shoot a bunch of threes. So, if Kid doesn't change that part of his, of, of his style, like this thing could look really weird and and really bad, <laughs> really times. quickly. Yeah, really quickly. Which I think is a fun pivot and and a nice pivot point into. I wrote the season preview for Chris Stapps Porzingis, and I really tried because i'm such an ass about him during games and when i'm mad i really tried to be fair and i think i did i think i was pretty fair because the bottom line of porzingis is the first 
the first thing that really matters for Porzingis is health. If he's healthy, everything else becomes a question of what is he willing to do? Um, because his, you know, you can see it when he wants to play. You can also see it when he gets so frustrated with his body that he gives up. I've, I've been on a, hosted a couple of green rooms lately and fans are, the fans who have joined these green rooms are, are kind of tired of his effort. And even I've had to say, like, I think there's just times when he can't do stuff. So if he is, is physically better, then it becomes that question of, will he, you know, that's where kids comments kind of freak me out because I think his best role is earnestly taking 10 threes a game and then diving to the rim as hard as possible. Like that dribbling should be almost entirely removed from Chris Stapps Porzingis's game at this point. He, he can't do it. He doesn't do anything with his dribble. Uh, and his post-ups are, are ineffective at best. So if he is willing to play a, be the role guy, you know, he, he can still break defenses with how, you know, the kind of shots he takes, but the the Kristaps Porzingis show, um, which we saw in March of 2020, I just don't see that coming back. Uh, the injury history doesn't speak well of anything like this. So I would like for him to sort of maximize what he can. And I think if that's the case, then he could have, you know, an even more efficient and productive season last year because we all know his numbers looked good. But everybody who watched the games can speak to the fact that there were plenty of games where he just looked bad. Yeah, and it's, you know, how much of it is health? How much of it is, can he get it back? Like, is it, is it that's the, the thing that I don't think anyone can answer. Like, is it a matter of, oh, well, he's healthy. Um, you know, this is his first health, healthy offseason. He should look better. But, like, sometimes, like, you lose it and it doesn't come back. You know? And the like, history for guys over 7-1 yeah. who, mit, like, it's, it's Jared Dubin wrote something on this and then he shared me some information that he figured out during his research um, when he was looking into Chris Stapps for Zingas last year for 538 guys over seven foot one after their fifth season in the league the the number of games they play just starts to decline rapidly and we are used to we are used to seeing guys playing longer and longer we saw Dirk Nowitzki do it we saw Kevin Durant and Kobe do it not or not Kevin Durant Kevin Garnett so we just, I think all of us just sort of think that Porzingis is going to be a guy who plays for another 10 years. And there's really nothing to back that up. Uh, guy, you know, he's only played 60% of his, his total games career wise. And, you, you know, I, I'd be happy if he plays 55 games next year. I think that's a success for the Mavericks. So, you know, this is all just sort of awkward and painful to talk about because he's just so important to what they do. Yeah, and at the very least, he has to become a good defender, which you really yes. you emphasize very well in your in your piece that like, hey, the offense can come and, and go because, quite frankly, like him just standing on the floor makes them a better offense. So even if his offense is not as consistent as he would like, the coaching staff, you know, anyone would like, uh, if he's a good defender, you know, then it, it kind of works out. Like if he's mm -hmm. as good as he was in nineteen and twenty um then then he they they will be a significantly better team uh, than we've seen you know in the past 12 months so i don't know it's i it, it's a bunch of the answers to all this stuff is stuff that we like can't answer it's not a matter of like hey if they put him here or if they do this with him if they scheme him this way it's like okay cool but like if he can't move like none of this really matters and and the the answer to the question of can he move better like 
we're just not going to know that until we we start seeing these games. So it's it's a very weird spot to be in. And, you know, that's why, like, anyone that wants to be optimistic on him, I don't blame because – but anyone who wants to be pessimistic, I also don't – you know. Yep, yep. There's plenty of reasons. There's there's plenty of reasons to feel optimistic is, Mm -hmm. is the thing I think we should end on with him is is there's just there's just enough there to where even i've sort of swung how it worked um i'm very i don't know i'm just maybe that'll change it probably will change but for right now i just feel good so now i think we should pivot to to the next guy that we've we've written about at mavs Moneyball. um and you can see this you should go to the website click on our player previews tab there's a lot there uh matt gilroy wrote about willie Colstein and this is just funny because heading into the season, I had no reason, or off season, I had no reason to believe the Mavericks were going to pick up Willie Cauley-Stein's $4 million team option because at the moment he is one of technically seven guys on the roster who can play center. Um, and so <laughs> it's, it's very odd. And Willie, for, for anybody who doesn't really who who everybody who's listening to this is a hardcore Mavs fan, but like Willie Cauley Stein is one of the most breathtaking athletes I've ever seen play basketball. He's he's just magnificent. He's so up and down athletic. He can run. He can do kind of a little bit of everything. And I think that really is his problem. Um is because he's so talented, just physically gifted, he thinks he can do more than he really should on the court. Um, which results in him often doing really dumb stuff, which, you know, Rick Carl was sort of forced to play him last year. At a certain point in the year, he was only shooting like 65% on dunks, which is extremely difficult to do. Uh, but, you know, he rounded out the year okay. He was, you know, he's part of the rotation. And and I think having huge guys um, who can defend and who can rebound in the right opportunity, like, He's a nice end of bench guy to have is I guess how I feel about Willie Cauley Stein. Yeah. And you know, I think the, like you said, the fact that he's like one of like eight guys that can play center, it just kind of makes a difference in how you look at him. Cause like on the current roster, you're like, okay, that's enough. Like they've got too many of these guys. Like (laughs) they got to have less of these guys. Uh, But, but in a vacuum on his own, you know, he's fine. And I think he's settled into a nice little role and I think, you know, everyone's kind of adjusted their expectations. Cause I think when he got here, there was a lot of excitement that he could be like more than he is. And then he kind of started playing and then we, we kind of got into, well, does he need to actually play more? Because look at these numbers when he actually does play, like especially last season, his advanced metrics were kind of through the roof. Uh, but there's a reason why he only played as many minutes as he played. Like I think yep. the Mavericks just maximized him in the minutes he played and, and, and got the most out of him. And I think that's a nice little, little spot for him. Like just kind of, you know, backup big that gives you a different look uh, in terms of compared to what some of your other bigs can do in terms of being like an athlete and, and, and a mobile, a mobile big man uh, who can move his feet and, and maybe give you something. And then, but also they don't rely on him. So if he gets on the floor and it's one of those, you know, Willie Cauley Stein space cadet games, no harm, no foul. Just pull him, and you could play Powell or Maxi or Przingis, or you know, you can play someone else his minutes. So, 
I think they're in a nice little spot. And I think the the nice thing is I think the expectations are now kind of aligned with who he is. Yes. I don't think I don't think anyone is gonna be dreaming of him being like a 20 minute a game starter. And then I also think, you know, maybe on the negative side, people who thought he might not even be able to contribute any positive basketball at all. Like I think we've understood, hey, he's got a use. So uh like it's good that he's kind of found that niche niche mm-hmm. on the team. Everything from him at this point is a bonus, and that level of bonus is you know it's the sort of thing i'm i i believe we'll all be happy with in the spot minutes that he plays he also seems to be like a very just kind of like a delightful teammate like he he's he's always kind of mellow which i think works against him in terms of the passion thing but he's not going to be a guy who's bitchy um there's the occasional you know tweet and instagram message and you know that's the sort of thing I think Jason Kidd will dunk on ruthlessly, but we'll talk about Jason Kidd in another podcast because uh, we actually had somebody write a player preview for head coach Jason Kidd, which I'm very, <laughs> I'm very entertained by. I thought it was a fun idea. Um, the last guy we're going to talk about before we book on out of here uh, is second year forward Josh Green, who spent most of his summer with the Australian national team, where he played precisely like seven minutes. Then he went to summer league where he didn't play at all, and so. Right now, you know, I don't know what to think about Josh Green. Is he a player who the Mavericks are attempting to hide how bad he is? Um, is he a player they're trying to prevent from injury so that he could be involved in a, an October 1st trade? Or is he someone that they simply have a very specific use case scenario for and they didn't want him playing any summer league basketball so as to not develop any bad habits? I mean, the the really the range of outcomes for Josh Green is so all over the place, and frankly, they don't really trend very good. No, I mean he's basically still a rookie in a lot of ways. He didn't really play a lot last season. He didn't have a training camp. He didn't have a summer league. I mean, he still didn't get the summer league, and uh, but at least he's going to get a training camp this season. Uh, he was playing for a coach that was under no circumstances was ever going to play him consistent minutes. I mean, as soon as he was drafted, I think unless you are a weirdo um you knew he was never really gonna play he was never really gonna we get a chance hopes, though. we really yeah. did have hopes for a while and but it was just when rick didn't play him at all whenever there was the covid problems right after like game 10 or so that that was the canary in the coal mine that he was just never gonna play right and you know say what you will um like about his talent and stuff but he just couldn't get on the floor uh the thing that's really you know jason kidd is actually you know as much of a hard ass as his reputation is and then the stories about him he did kind of play young guys in his time in milwaukee like it might have been because he didn't really have a chance choice because those rosters were fairly young um just like he didn't have, like brooke lopez wasn't there until uh till after he left you know some of those guys you know they didn't get drew holiday till after he left like they they were a relatively young team. They weren't like super young, uh, which is like a point that some people make. Like he would he would say after games, like, "Hey, we're like a young team, and we're still trying to learn how to play." And you know, his average age of his starting lineup was like twenty six or twenty seven or something. So like, they're not. He didn't coach a baby team, but he also did play some of his rookies. Like he gave them a shot. He gave Sterling Brown a shot. He gave Malcolm Brogdon a shot. Um, so maybe. Green will have a little bit more of a rope than he will with Carlisle, like who we just knew was just never really going to play him. Uh, the big thing for me, and I think we've said this, I mean, I've said this a million times. You've said it a million times. A bunch of other people around the team have said it a million times. 
like the the um we look at dorian finney smith as like the best case scenario for someone like him and then you know the thing that we have to reiterate is dorian finney smith played on those bad mavs teams where he played like 80 games a season and shot as much as yeah. he, he wanted to you gotta get that um, um, reps and that's yeah. where I don't know if he'll ever get that amount of reps because as long as Josh Green is on this team, the team's going to be good. Yep. So his minutes are going to be – there's not a lot of room for developmental minutes on a team well, that is good. I, mean, I, so I do we'll think see. this is kind of the, the, the Jason Kidd thing, though, is that in his time with other teams, he's played younger guys. And so I, I am at least looking forward to that. I do think – I didn't mind green so much. That's what kind of infuriated me is like, I don't, I remember him doing some dumb stuff, but it wasn't like, you know, it's the kind of thing where they'd stick him on an, uh, on an offensive player who was way too good for him to guard. Um, right. I don't know. This is, uh, he, he made a lot of really fun play. Like I remember that game they played against Miami where he played with like that bench lineup that just ran the other team off the floor. Like if you, like he's got, some such great athleticism and some tools that like if you put him in in a lineup like play him with luca and then play him next to like tim and maybe like pal like play him like don't play him with boban who's just gonna like they you know yeah, they stop I down the offense you know uh, I, I hate that so he kind of reminds me in a way like jay crowder like like the best the mavericks got the most out of jay crowder by putting him in lineups where he didn't have to be the best at anything like yep. He, he didn't have to be the best defender. He didn't have to be the best shooter. He didn't have to be the best passer. He didn't have to be the best scorer. Like, just just be the fifth guy that can kind of just do whatever. Just do what you do and don't worry about having more responsibility. And I feel like that lineup that that game they won in Miami in the second half of the season, he played really well. He had, like, three steals. But he was with Luka and he was with Powell and he was with THJ. So, like, the ball was moving and he didn't need to guard the best player. I think Finney, maybe Finney Smith was on the floor too. So, so that – the, those types of lineups might be where he can squeeze in, but again, you know, when you're a good team, uh, development is takes a back seat to to winning games. Yep, yep. Well, I think that's probably good for today. So, like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we have media day uh, on Monday, and Josh and I, or some combination of one or both of us, will will be talking tomorrow night. For you guys to have to roll into Tuesday and then middle of the week, we'll probably touch base again to do some more player previews and then just discuss any other news that happens. I may do a green room kind of in the in-between there. It depends. Having a lot of fun doing those. You all should subscribe or not subscribe, download the app and be on the lookout for those we've had. Uh, the last two times I've done it has been more than half people who hadn't actually joined before to, to give questions. And I really, really, really like that. I know it's a little bit daunting for people who might have a little bit of, you know, stage fright, but it's the same thing as talking with your friends in a group chat. Like we're all just fans when we all should have a good time. And I, I really enjoy doing that with people who are interested. Um, Josh, you got anything else before we get out, out of here? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's going to be a very exciting week. Um, if you were, hankering for for posts and coverage and podcasts i mean tomorrow like the floodgates open so <laughs> like stuff is happening we're not writing about rankings lists or tiktoks like i mean we still will if there's, there's yeah, some funny yeah, stuff yeah. But, but there's stuff happening like people are gonna talk we're gonna have people potentially you know on zoom calls like things things happen tomorrow so yep. so and we want time. you to we want you to stop by Mavs and moneyball every day Yes, um, there will be something new. 
Uh, yeah, and and we definitely want you to subscribe to the podcast. If you're not, leave us a review. Um, at some point, maybe we'll we'll take questions from Apple reviews uh, if if we can ever remember. But all right, this has been great. Nice little Sunday pod, Josh and yeah. Kirk. We will talk to you guys in a couple of days.